One of the things I love about the gospel and particularly about the Orthodox Church is the space it gives us to be wrong. And also connected to that, the way that it accommodates and really, in some respects, makes understandable our struggle with doubt, our struggle to believe. At the end of the 12 Passion Gospels, after we've just heard all of the readings about the crucifixion of Christ, it ends with them saying, with uh, um, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees saying, uh, asking to set a guard on the tomb because his disciples said, they say, that he, he'll, he'll rise again. And if that happens, if, if they come and steal away the body, then that deception will be even worse. It's like, wait a sec. <laughs> right here in the gospel, right at this key moment, as we're kind of reading through all this, what do we end with? We end with the claim that, well, this could all just be a hoax. They get the, kind of the last word on that one. And then, of course, uh, the, 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 um, uh, um, the, the reading for um, uh, Agape Vespers is, who? It's Thomas, who's not believing the other disciples. And now today, we have an entire Sunday devoted to St. Thomas and his doubt. Belief in this stuff is hard. And the church acknowledges that. There are alternative explanations. And the church acknowledges those too. We're not trying to cover anything up here. Rather, we acknowledge it is hard to believe. I've recently spent some time with uh, someone very close to me who uh, is a, a committed atheist or at least a, a committed agnostic. Uh, and I, I came away thinking, yeah, the world needs more good atheists. Now, obviously, I'm a little biased here because I feel like, well, if they're really good atheists, well, then they're kind of sort of doomed in the end, uh, not in the nasty horrible sense, but in the sense of if they see God face to face, I kind of think they'll recognize this was who they were hoping for all along. Because what, what, why is it so hard to believe? Well, Thomas is our, is our case study today, and he's, he's, he's a great case study. I mean, he, he was one of the 12 apostles. He did not desert Christ. Uh, well, I mean, they all deserted Christ at, at, at the end, but, but he, he, you, you even have him saying, as Christ is going down to raise Lazarus from the dead, and the other disciples are saying, well, wait a second, well, you're going down there and <laughs> to Jerusalem, you know, that, that area? They tried to kill you last time. Uh, and and Thomas actually says to the other disciples, well, let's, let's go so that we can die with him. 
This is the sort of man of commitment that Thomas was. But, so why didn't he believe? I mean, he spent three years with all of these people, living with them, listening to Jesus' teaching, listening to what Jesus actually said about him eventually rising from the dead. And yet, when it came right down to it, and the people who told Thomas, who he had spent these three years with, his friends, told him they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. He said, unless I see the print of the nails in his hand and I stick my hand into his side where the spear went in, I will not believe. Why? Well, we don't get an explanation, so we get to speculate a little bit. Uh, the... the uh, uh, Father Lawrence's take on it, which I, I, I really like, uh, is, is that Thomas is just kind of burnt out at this point. He's, he's invested his whole life, his whole, the whole trajectory of everything was towards Jesus being the Messiah and this being the fulfillment of everything. And I think that there's probably some truth in that uh, because now all of a sudden everything fell apart. It's all broken. It's all dashed. And Thomas can't get his hopes up. Alternatively, it may be, and I, I kind of like this one, and particularly because of, of what I tend to think about the really good atheists. I almost feel like Thomas is giving up on believing because God is just not up to the standard. He's not good enough. Because he has this great, this great vision, this great ideal. And, and if there was God, if God really was good, there's just no way he would have let happen to the holy, generous-hearted, beautiful man, Jesus, who just served everybody. There was no way God would let that horrible crucifixion all the mocking, the scourging uh, that went in uh, before it, and the agonizing death on the cross that he endured. There's just no way that a good God would let something like that happen. Whatever the reason, Thomas just couldn't bring himself to believe the words of the people whom he knew and trusted and who he had spent three years with couldn't bring himself to believe even the words that Jesus himself had spoken. And the church celebrates that. <laughs> in, in the hymnography last night, we heard a wonderful doubt of Thomas. Because what happens? Well, why does the church celebrate it? Because God himself, I don't know if it, celebrate is quite the right word, but accommodates it. Christ comes again, appears again to the disciples, and specifically says to Thomas, come, put your hand into the print of the nails and into my side. Touch, the, touch, touch where the spear hit, hit, pierced my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And, and I love that not only for the accommodation, but because of what it uh, communicates to us about God himself. 
God understands what it is that we need in order to believe. He understands it because he made us. He understands it because he became one of us. And so what do we need? We need evidence. We need to have some kind of thing that we can see or latch on to or experience or touch. We need to know that it's true in some way that is real to us and that can overcome this. And we need to, it, it's actually kind of hard with all the disappointment that we've experienced, with all the brokenness of the world that we've experienced, it's actually kind of hard to believe that something so good as the gospel, so good as the resurrection of Christ, so good as our resurrection in Christ could possibly be true. It's hard. And he actually recognizes, you know, we're not going to make it all the time. We're not going to manage it all the time. I, I, at least that's, that's my take. Um, certainly he accommodates Thomas in this, in this instant and, and gives him the evidence that he needs, presents him with it. Now he also says, blessed are you uh, because you have seen and believe. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. Because the whole point of Christ coming into the world in this manner and assuming a human form means that that duration of his time here is necessarily now a part of his human history. And he's not like, he's not an abnormal human being, if you will, who sticks around for millennia upon millennia. He's, he's, he was here and now he's not here. And he's rather at the right hand of God at this point in time. And so he says that there is a blessing for those who have not seen and yet have believed because he understands that this is precisely what we are all going to need to do. We don't get what Thomas got. Thomas was within the time frame when that would have been reasonable. We're not. And so what we need to do is what Thomas needed to actually do in the first place which is to say we need to examine the evidence and follow where it leads. Examine on, uh, what, what we have heard and what many others have attested to be true and in relationship with those people from whom we get that message and uh, we, we examine it and figure, figure out, can we believe this? Can we commit ourselves to this? And the beautiful thing about Pascha is that it really reveals experientially the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the joy that is infused in us by the knowledge of the goodness of God and the, the mercy of God as he comes down and not only unites himself to us, but unites us to himself and brings him up in the resurrection, brings us up with him in the resurrection life that is in Christ. And we, we get a kind of experiential foretaste of that at Pascha. And then, you know, life carries on. And we have to go to work, and it's kind of a mess, and it's annoying, and I actually have to catch up a bit because I took a little time off for Pascha. And it's all hard and difficult, and, and that joy which was there it kind of fades. 
And so the question really before us is, what is the most real? And I would suggest that the witness of Christians down through the centuries is that what is the most real is, in fact, the joy of the resurrection. When Athanasius the Great is citing uh, this, as I've said before, he, he, uh, when, when, he's, when he's talking about evidence for the resurrection of Christ, he doesn't go into all the details of, you know, well, what would happen to the Roman guards if they fell asleep and all that sort of stuff. So obviously, no, no, he, he simply says, look at the joy of the martyrs. Look at the joy with which they go to their deaths. This is the ultimate evidence right before your eyes, because at this point, it was right before the eyes of the people he was writing to, of the resurrection that work in these people. And similarly, we ourselves, we have this experience. And then the question is, well, how do we deal with this? Oh, and to be honest, we don't always deal with it very well. We're kind of sometimes, practically speaking, atheists ourselves, because we kind of give up. It's like, ah, oh, life is just terrible, it's horrible, and I'm tired of this, and I'm just going to do what I want, even though I know it's the wrong thing. You know, what is that? But, you know, the, we're acting as if God doesn't exist. But God is merciful. The whole point of the gospel from the very beginning was repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Christ says right from the beginning. Because that's the foundation that God builds on. He's like, okay, yeah, I get it. You're broken. So acknowledge your brokenness and repent. Change your mind. Metanoia. Start, at least start the process. And then continue the process. And then keep continuing the process. Because that's absolutely what we need to do. We basically, have, when we're faced with the brokenness of this world, we're faced with two options. One, we can just say, oh, everything's broken, I'm broken, it's never going to get any better because, look, you know, all these people who actually tried to do something just comes crashing down and it's, you know, you can give up. Or you can actually acknowledge your own brokenness and start working on fixing it with the help of the one who came to show us how it can be fixed following the lead and the teachings of the one who came to show us how to actually love one another, how to actually love one another in the face of persecution and, and misrepresentation and misunderstanding and even torture and death. Because he himself experienced this. He himself went through this. And he himself was delivered from this by God himself, who did not abandon his Holy One to corruption as St. Peter says in his Pentecostal sermon. This is the good news. This is what we need to hold on to. This is the reality that is more real than all the pessimistic realism that we are presented with in our society as, okay, well, you just have to accept that it's just horrible and it pretty much always will be unless we all embrace, I don't know, X. X being your particular solution. Our solution, we understand, comes from God himself, becoming one of us, showing us how to love, accommodating our brokenness, our 
the, even the very difficulty that we have in believing. Showing himself to be real to us, not only back then, but also today, as we heard over and over and over again in the Paschal hymnography. Today is the day of resurrection. Today, Christ is risen from the dead. Today, all the graves are emptied and love reigns. This is the God who created the universe and sustains it and continues to be patient with us and loving towards us, showing us the truth in every, at every moment in every day that we might be his adopted children, his sons, his heirs, that we might be, as we embrace the way of life that he taught us, that we might be, uh, display his love to all those around us and thus be living examples of what it means to follow the way that Jesus Christ represented to us, modeled for us the cross and the resurrection from the dead, that we might in this way be to his glory, representatives of his glory, the glory of the Father and of the Son, Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Christ is risen. He is risen.